This morning, very quickly, I'd like to turn our attention to First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8, where we're going to find our text this morning, First Timothy 2, 8, and I'll read it again. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I desire that men to pray. A call to prayer. If you look at this text this morning, it's really, it's in the context of prayer. Really, it's the context of leadership, but, but really one of the themes that is recurrent in this text, as we read this morning, you will see that there are things that keep coming up. And the word prayer keeps coming up over and over again in this text. Verse 8 Our text is connected to verses 1 through 7, where Paul charges the church as a whole to take its position of prayer seriously. Taking your position of prayer seriously. I want you to notice the first phrase in verses 1 that says, First of all, first of all, I'm going to say a lot of things, but Paul is saying, first of all, of most importance, First of all, the first priority, I urge you to pray, to pray. Paul is not saying that prayer is just the first priority, but it's very clear Paul is saying that prayer is the first and the only priority for the church. See, when do you pray? When do you pray? If we're going to be honest this morning, most of us will pray only after we have tried everything else. We'll remind ourselves, would you pray? Well, we forgot to pray. And then we'll remember, kind of a caveat, trap it on the the side, let's pray. Is always prayer our first and most priority duty? Paul seems, by the inspiration of God, saying to us, it should be. First of all, it should be. That's the first thing to pray. You see, friends, God is interested in us praying to him. But I know that maybe in this culture, prayer is is tagged on because you've not become desperate enough to know that that's the only line of defense you have. Many of us have not come to that time of desperation. But let me tell you something. For us in the third world, we have been pushed by God to the point that prayer is always our first line of defense. Not our second. Not our third. We, we, we have nothing to try. No methods. We, we've tried everything else and it's failed. And God has pushed us to the wall to the point where we are so desperate for him. And we pray. Currently, if you talk to missiologists, the fastest growing body of Christians all over the world are found on the continent of Africa, where you've seen all kinds of trouble. It seems like in every minute a church is planted in African soil. Every minute. We're a continent of about 900,000 people, but you know what? It's estimated almost half of that are Christians. Of course, you don't see that on the news. It doesn't make the the evening news. It doesn't. You know, in the context here, first thing we see is that prayer is extremely important. But second, God is interested in saving lost humanity. 
He's saying that pray for all men because he's interested in serving and he is the savior of all men everywhere. So there's a link between prayer and the gospel. The gospel cannot go out unless people learn to pray. Do you know why we don't evangelize that we ought to evangelize? Not because we don't know the content of the gospel, but because we don't know how to pray. Evangelism begins on our knees, crying out to God to save people. God has linked it that way. That if people have to know Jesus, if we come to know Jesus in our communities, in our families, in our country, we must pray for them. We must pray for them. Prayer is an instrument in his redeeming hands. Prayer is an instrument. It's a means that he uses to open the hearts of the sinful men. You see, you've just come off the political treadmill in this country. And I can say this because I'm getting ready to go. And I know, I, I know, I, I know we're having lunch after that. I know who's going to feed me. I trust them. So, so I can say this because they're going to feed me. So that, don't worry about it. Do you, want, do you realize that many of you have been more angry than prayerful? Do you realize how much you've been caught up in anger? Did God really? And most, most of you say, oh, this is righteous anger. No, it's not righteous anger. It's just sinful anger. You've been more angry. Not because of the holiness of God, but because of the entitlement. Because of what they're going to take away from us. Because of the economy. And because of the politics. You see, this text is within the culture context. Verse 8, Paul says that, I desire that in every place men should pray. The position of men in the church is very clear in the Old Testament. God has a position of men in the church that is very important. You see, Gentiles had this problem that we have in the 21st century. Gentiles always relegated all spiritual matters to women. Always relegated the spiritual matters to women. And we've done that. <laughs> You've done that in this culture. There's a very interesting book. I, 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 it's a really thick book, but you've seen the title. The End of Men and the Rise of Women. Have you seen that title? The End of Men and the Rise of Women. The End of Men and the Rise of Women. And in that book, this liberal woman talks about the end of men in America is an agenda. It's an agenda to make men impotent about anything in this culture. In my university days here in the United States, in the classrooms that I've been in for three years, I've seen this one fact over and over again, that there is an agenda to silence men. Especially Caucasian men. You open your mouth, you're racist. The end of man. Is that going to be good for your nation? No. 
Is Paul backward, narrow-minded, and chauvinistic? No. Are some portions of scripture more or less God's word because we're in an era called the postmodern age? No. God has a call over the men of this church to pray. Let me repeat it. God has a call. He doesn't discuss it with you. He's telling you to pray. And not the prayer on the meals, during meals. No, he's trying to tell, take the, the, the whole idea of praying seriously. So he says in God's house, men should take the role, the biblical spiritual role of prayer. And this truth cuts across cultures. Because let me tell you friends, it was important in the Jewish synagogue for men to pray. It was important in the New Testament for people to pray. And Paul, who is a Jewish man, is looking at Gentiles and he's saying to them, this is not a cultural issue. This cuts across board. Men ought to pray. Men ought to pray. It's our biblical God-given role to lead our homes and churches in prayer. But I help ask a few questions here just to help us to think. I believe that every single man in this place knows that we should pray. And the idea is not to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to beat on your head, it's to encourage you because there's something that happens in this congregation that doesn't happen in many congregations that I've gone to. Every end of the service, men come forward and pray. I have not seen it, and I've been in so many states last three years. I've been in so many pulpits. I have not seen it anywhere else but in this church. So this is something to encourage you. You're doing well. But I want to tell you, you've got to do even more. Everything rises and falls You're petitioning God. So we know it's right. You know it's right. You know it's important. You know it's essential. But why don't we seem to pray? Well, someone has written a book and has outlined five things that I want to share with you, and then we will make a few applications here. I think the reason why men don't pray is because of five dangers. Danger number one, advances in technology. Advances in technology. In the former days before introduction of the technology, people depended on God for everything. Depended on God for everything. Everything. Now we Google everything. A few nights ago, my son got very sick in the middle of the night. And you know the first thing that I was tempted to do? He was coughing, coughing, it's to Google. Google, go Google and find out. My son is coughing, what should I do? I caught myself Googling. And I had to go back and tell my wife, you know, I did not lead you well this night. The first thing I should have done is to pray. But technology has taken off. What's the first thing to do when there's a danger in the home? Call 911. Call the ambulance. 
prayer is not first of all. The brothers, brothers, prayer should be the priority. Your wife and your children in the home, your community should be know you as a man of prayer. And whenever you go to that man, the first thing he's going to do is petition God. That's where his hope is. So advanced in technology. But secondly, the modern, modern skepticism of the supernatural. In the modern era, we are skeptic of the supernatural. We, we ask ourselves, yeah, we can pray, but what can prayer do to all these modern catastrophes? You mean prayer would stay the tornadoes? Terrorism? Hurricanes? You mean Sandy in New York can be stayed by God's hand? You mean God can really stop that? So we're skeptic of God, the supernatural. We tend to think God worked in the past, in the stories of the books we hear. But God's not working like that this way. God has left us to do it ourselves. So we don't expect God to do anything. Yeah, we can pray, but we don't expect him to do anything. Modern skepticism. But thirdly, modern prosperity. You live in the most prosperous age before from the foundation of the world. And you know what? I've lived here for three years. That prosperity can sink into your soul to the point that you don't need God. And how do we know we don't need God? You don't pray to Him. And I know it's hard. It's really, really hard. For example, how do you say, give us our daily bread when your pantry is stocked with food for a month's supply? How would you do that? It's easier for us to do that because we don't have no pantries. <laughs> it's harder for you to do that. How do I pray for God's provision when God has given me a job? I had to be a prophet of doom and I'm not. But I'm a student of history. In culture, you're going to get to that point where give us our daily bread. It's going to mean a lot. <laughs> it will. You look at every civilization has gone that way. I hope it doesn't. But look at history. Always happens. And so we talk about Washington. We talk about the fiscal cliff. As if that's our hope. It's not. Let me tell you, friends. Let it collapse. You know why? God will still take care of you. In the middle of the recession. Do you really believe that? That he will take care of you? Then when everything else is gone, you have the most important thing in your life. You have God. And Christians and men, Christian men need to be seen to trust in God other than trusting in their possessions and what they have put in the barns. God will take care of you. I tell people that we, we've lived in, Africa has lived in a recession for the last 300 years. And God has taken care of us. God has no respect of men. He will take care of you. Number four, time pressures. Time pressures. We have no time. We are a busy people. Look at the way we communicate. 
We don't even need to talk to each other. I'm too busy to talk to you. I'm going to email you. I am going to text you. I'm going to tweet you. I'm too busy. So if I'm busy to do, do that, how, how in the world am I going to be praying? Whenever I look at many people in this culture, even where they walk, I mean, they, just, they don't look anywhere else. They just... Where are you going? Oops. I don't actually know, but you're going very fast as if you're going to do something. No, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> Too busy. Too busy to pray? So you ask yourself this question, where does God fit into a life that already seems behind schedule? Or behind schedule? Number five. We live in the age of instant response. When you go to a doctor, he will give you an immediate answer after a few tests. When you go to a mechanic, he will put a machine on your vehicle and he'll tell you what the vehicle, the problem with your engine, instant. When you go to a psychiatrist, the instant. My prayer is not always instant. Prayer takes time. Prayer takes patience. And we become so impatient. The prayer doesn't make any sense. We must act right now. The context of this text is praying for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified everywhere. Something happened in October 10th, 2012 at 4 p.m. A man stood in a stadium that had almost 50,000 people. And he pulled out a piece of paper and he read a prayer. That prayer was a prayer of repentance. He repented his sins. And he repented the sins of his people. And as a leader, he dedicated his people to God. October 10th, 2012, 4 p.m. did not, was not in any of our stations in the world. It was not on CNN. It was not on BBC. It was not anywhere else. That man was the president of Uganda. Yoweri Museveni. At the eve of the 50th anniversary since the British came to Uganda, our independence, he stood. He confessed his sins before his countrymen was televised. He confessed the sins of the country and he commended the nation to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yoweri Museven has been a president of my country for the last 26 years. He has rigged elections. He has bribed people in elections. His government has been the most corrupt, number three most corrupt government in the entire world. Number one, Nigeria. Number two, Singapore. Number three, Uganda. 
Do you know what men did many years ago? Almost 30 years ago to October the 10th, 2012. A pastor who is now going to be the Lord. Rallied his other pastors. And he asked us to start praying for our kings and our leaders. You know, during the 30 years, it seemed lawless. But men and women, especially men, prayed. And when does God answer? This year. A man who was lawless stood before his people. A president of a nation. A sovereign nation. And he repented his sins and the sins of a nation. Does God answer prayer? Can God change America? Yes, he can. How is he plan to do it? When men pray. He says here that, that we might live in peace. This is not just that we may have more cars and more homes. The whole idea here is that the gospel may have its way. There may be peace for the church that the gospel might have its way. You know what? That's what we prayed for in in Uganda. And every nation in Africa, that's what they're praying for. We don't care who is up there. (laughs) We pray that whoever is up there will be sympathetic to the church and the gospel will flourish and the gospel is flourishing. When we started having cell phones, we devised the means to use our cell phones well. I remember standing before my congregation and saying, you know what, if cell phones came about about 10 years ago, that's when cell phones came to Africa and everybody was interested in cell phones. We're getting them from China very inexpensively. And so people in my church were just fascinated with cell phones. Can you just imagine? They've never seen this old telephone. Most of them have never seen that thing that you crank like that. And they've never seen that, and they jump to a cell phone. So it seems like when you go to Africa, everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a cell phone. So we say, you know what? This cell phone thing is going to take our people away from what is right. So we divide the means. We say, you know what? What you need to do is every day at midnight, you set your alarm on your phone. But at midnight, we want you to send a text out. Waking up people to pray. Because we need God and we're desperate for him. And so we divided the whole city into districts of prayer. And so people wake up in the morning and and people from the northern district will meet somewhere and they will pray from midnight up to morning. Another district will do the same thing. We began surrounding the city in prayer. We had prayer gatherings and prayer walks. Prayer cleanings. Our city was filthy and dirty. You know what we did? We said, we're going to go in and we're going to sweep it, but we're going to sweep it as we pray. Because we want the hearts of men to be swept by the Spirit of the Lord. And you know what is happening? God is sweeping the hearts of men in our nation. He is. He is. Pastors began going to radio stations 
and asking the proprietors of radio stations and saying, what is your lowest time where nobody listens to the radio station? And people say, you know what? Nobody really listens to radio uh, after midnight and also a little bit about three to four in the morning, nobody listens. And the pastor said, would you give us that time? And if you go to Uganda, now it's spread to other nations in, of, of, of sub-Saharan Africa. At midnight and between three to four in the morning, Every single station, whether it's public, private, Muslim, whatever, there's a pastor praying. A pastor praying. On their dime. (laughs) Men of this church, my brothers, that you would pray. That you will take Fredericksburg and blanket this city in prayer. I want you to look around your pews. There are people who need to be here. And they are not here. Christianity is not just an exclusive club. <laughs> we have an exclusive message. And he tells us this here. But, but the Bible tells us that Jesus wants men everywhere to be saved. There's only one way. And only one name. It's Jesus. When you, does it really, does it bother you to see all these pews empty? Everybody will sit on that pew and it's empty. Would you begin praying that it will be filled? Oh, you say, oh, is, is that, is that, yes, it's possible. He says it here. You either take him seriously or don't. Would you begin praying for your community? Do you really, if you met someone on the street and asked them to pray, it's just been amazing that everybody I've asked to pray, they, even whether Muslims, whether atheists, they've said, go ahead and pray. You know why? Because they don't believe in prayer. They don't. So they say, go ahead and be useless. I know there's power in prayer because it's not just in prayer, but power in God. What if you just started praying for your neighbors on the left and the right? Seriously praying for them. Why would you pray for them? That they may see the only way to salvation is not many ways, there's only one way. That they may see that there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given in proper time. Would you have a list of men and women around you that you don't know Jesus? Your friends at school, if you're homeschooled, kids, this Christmas. Would you give a gift this Christmas to the non-Christians by just praying for them? Spending time for them. If you're going to go to the mall, it's a wonderful thing to just to sit at the mall. And look at all the faces in and out of the mall and praying for each face in the mall. Well, our time is fast gone. There's a book by E.M. Bounds. The title of that book is Power Through Prayer. In that book, Bounds says that some, Charles Simeon devoted four hours each morning to prayer. You know who Charles Simeon was. Mr. Wesley spent two hours daily in prayer. It is said that John Fletcher stained the walls with the breath of his prayers. Sometimes he would pray all night. His whole life was a life of prayer. Said he, I would not rise from my seat without lifting my heart to God. 
Martin Luther Reformer, if I fail to spend three hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business. I cannot get along without spending three hours daily in prayer. Dave Brainerd, the mighty missionary to the Indians, said, I love, to al- I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend my time in prayer. Adoniram Judson said, Arrange thy affairs if possible so that, they, that thou canst leisurely devote two hours every day, not merely to devotional exercise, but to the very act of secret prayer and communion with God, to be resolute in his cause. Make all practical sacrifices to maintain it. You may not have hours to devote to prayer, D.L. Moody says. But he said he spent more than 15 minutes in prayer. But he all prayed often about everything. And what did God do? He used them. He used them. I have one prayer for you, American brothers and sisters. My prayer is that you will see the seriousness of this call. I began praying for the days ahead. That not things that will go well, <laughs> but the gospel will flourish. That men will be able to see the end of their lives and may be able to see Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. Let us pray. Our Father, these are not just words. These are your words. This is your call. And Father, we are honest in our hearts. This is impossible. We can't do this. We don't even want to do it. But yet we know we must do it because you call us to do it. So we come to you, Lord, this morning. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you bathe a hunger, a passion for every single man and woman in this church to pray without ceasing. And Father, we don't want just a revival because revivals come in and sweep and we talk about them in the past. The revival came such and such a day. We don't want just a revival. We don't just want a reformation of this great nation. But Father, we want transformation and we want to see fruit in our day. Oh God, Would you be pleased to send your spirit to help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.